The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody! Help! Not just anybody! Help! You know I need someone! Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 176 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. After retiring from medical practice, I became an activist for family caregiving. Our topic today is wife and children as family caregivers. More and more, aging people want to pass their last years of their lives at home. More and more, healthcare systems want aging people to pass the last years of their lives aging at home. But aging at home and dying at home may create considerable challenges for families and their family members. So there may come times when family caregivers and their family members face hard decisions, such as whether the family member should go into residential care, which is why understanding how families deal with their challenges and make their decisions is more and more important. And it's also why our topic today, wife and children as family caregivers, is so important. To discuss it, our guest is Steve Holmes. Steve is a son, husband, father and grandfather. He's the fourth of five children of the late Reverend Robert Holmes. Their mother is Mrs. Jean Holmes. Steve his siblings and their collective families had an important role in supporting their mother, Mrs. Holmes, in the management and care of their father's particular disabilities. Now, Steve is a chartered accountant by training and now the CEO of the ICL Management Group, which includes Spring Free Trampoline and Verify Technologies. He's passionate about care for people, young and old, who are challenged with disabilities. He works with organizations committed to facilitating exercise for individuals with disabilities. So welcome to the show, Steve. Gordon, thank you. It is great to be here. Great. Now, let's start with the first question. Please tell tell us some more about your personal background, about your family, and about your role as a member of a family team involved in family caregiving. Thank you. First, let me thank you for the opportunity to share. Um, my mother and father have had a significant impact on each of my siblings and, and our children, and now, of course, my granddaughter. But um, we were brought up with the concept of honor your mother and your father as the Lord your God has commanded you. And that was a, a firm phrase in our family. And so um, for us as a family, the concept of providing care was one of real honor. 
and um, as as we witnessed my mother throughout our entire growing up years, the ability to care for one who has a need sometimes just becomes second nature, and it is not an obligation, and it is not a, a sense of uh, of of duty. It is one really about honor and about care, and it is a privilege. And so, I have, um, as you mentioned, I am the fourth of five children. And my parents, in their latter years, um, we built a an in-law suite was built in my youngest brother's home. And my parents, for the last ten years of their life, have uh, lived with my youngest brother and his three children. Now, let's speak more about your role, your particular role in the family caregiving. Well, as we look at the the role of of each of us, um, I might I might say that I could go back to the days when I was a child, and sometimes had to tie up the laces of my father's shoelace. Um, and and then as we grew older and our responsibilities changed, it became one of ensuring that as the as my father's own disabilities and challenges continued to grow, that there were ways in which those solutions were found. Whether that was through a financial aid in the sense of providing electronic equipment from motorized wheelchairs to uh, vehicles that had handicap lifts to refitting their home with appropriate equipment, um, or to whether it was scheduling time that would allow my mother to have a break. Um, Each of us as family members was involved in all aspects of that process. Right. Now, please describe to us the challenges your father faced and the particular ways in which your mother responded to those challenges. Well, my father was uh, uh, unfortunately contracted polio as a very young man, um, and he spent a significant amount of time in the hospital back in in the city of Toronto um, in the early 1950s in Riverdale Hospital. And my father spent, I think, over eight months at that time in that one hospital room without much mobility as the polio had uh, entered his central nervous system and destroyed most of his motor neutrons on the left side of his body. So he had lost, uh, he had a level of, uh, of a paralysis and, um, and, was, and was spending most of his time looking out the window. And as we grew up as children, there's two things we learned about my father. One is he hated hospitals. And secondly, he never planned on spending any time in jail. And I think it was spent because of his days at the Riverdale Hospital looking out over that window. And so what happens with polio, a disease that we still do not have a cure for, um, but for one which uh, the the vaccine came into being really, I think, in the 1950s, um, it attacked the, the nervous system and reduced his ability to function. Now, he gained some strength, but but never complete. So, interesting, my mother and my father um, actually began dating after my father contracted polio, and they were married in 1953, and they were married 58 years prior to my dad's passing. So, at the time of their marriage, my mother entered the marriage, entered those marriage vows, uh, entered in the sickness and in health, with a clear understanding that her husband had some challenges, um, but never really understood what those might mean down the road. And so as my mother provided care for my father over the years, and as that care, it was always an evolving process. It was evolving for both of them. 
because they did not necessarily know how the polio would continue to act in his body. Steve, you mentioned that at times you tied your father's shoelaces. Clearly, that is one of the challenges, one of the many challenges of polio. Now, please tell us more about the way your mother and father uh, together um, face those challenges and about the ways in which your mother cared for him. Well, you know, I, I guess first I want to say that my parents were deeply rooted in, in a sense of faith. Um, and my father, as you mentioned, was, was a reverend, and he was the minister in a Baptist church across many churches in many communities in Canada. And one of the things that I think came out was that his own challenges and the way in which my mother supported him in those challenges was very much um, dearming for many people within the community within the, the, that he served in his churches, people who had deep, deep need, and they would look at a man who was faced with his own challenges and say, maybe my needs aren't so great. But yet my father and mother in partnership were able to care for them. So as much as my mother and father had a need for their own sense of caregiving, their faith showed them a desperate need to care for others. And so as much as we talk about family caregivers, I, I, I don't want to ever underestimate the fact that those who are in need, even in my father's latter years, those who are in need can still have a tremendous gift to others as they serve them and provide care, whether it's through encouragement of a phone call or a visit or whatever the case may be. So what happened in my mother and father's partnership was really about a sense of sustaining each other. They, they had committed that they would cast all of their cares into a, from a biblical perspective and from a prayer perspective onto the Lord and that he would sustain them. And it was their responsibility to, to then go out and continue to function as fully as they could. And that meant some unique challenges within the sense of care, from personal care and hygiene um, to, to many other aspects of that care. Now, would you go so far as to say that in the way they cared, not only for each other, but also for the people in the community, the community of faith with whom they came into contact, and doubtless other people as well, that in effect the concept of family caregiving really spread within the community. In other words, to put it in perhaps a rather dramatic form, everybody became a member of a larger family. Would you agree with that, or am I going too far? It, absolutely. It was, the, it was the heart of my father's ministry as a minister was to always look for those in need and to, and to walk beside them. And then, in, in fairness, in his faith, to lead them, to lead them to Christ. But as it pertained to us growing up, we never knew who might be at the dinner table. And, and, and what I mean by that is that there might be someone in greater need. And so from our family unit, from the day I was a young child, we never understood why it was that these people might come into our life. But my father and my mother did. And so their care created a sense of community that they cared for others. And in turn, phenomenal stories that after my father's passing and even through the later years of his sickness, 
the stories we heard from people who they had provided care to was an exceptional, it was just a wonderful, wonderful message about who they had been and how they had attacked their life with regards to their responsibility as a community of care. So that notion of community of care really does underpin, grow from, and embrace the notion of family caregiving. Is that right? I would absolutely agree. Yes. Now, what we've only one more minute left, and I'm just going to comment back to you, that um, the story you're starting to tell, because there's much more to it, is a story of how a challenge, like polio, which is a serious challenge, actually reinforces the notion of caregiving and family caregiving and sharing and support for others. And so your point that you made, that just because we as individuals have challenges, it doesn't stop us. And this is what I think you said, reaching out and helping for other, helping others also who also have their challenges. Now, I'll give you a chance to respond to that in the next segment because this is the point at which we have to uh, take the short break so we pay the rent. So this is Dr. Gordon Adderley, and my guest is Steve Holmes. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Power River. Please stay with us. We will be back. We're on Facebook, along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tong has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. How can we Americans realize our dreams to earn a living? How can you pursue your dream and make money as an owner or an employee? Learn how at The American Business Person, the online weekly radio talk show hosted by Rich Killian. Today's business leaders share how to succeed and what fails. If you own a new or established business or ever hope to, you must tune in. Join us every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Central, and noon Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Or listen on demand to our archived shows. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world. And that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week, Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. 
Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Steve Holmes. Our topic is wife and children as family caregivers. Steve, now let's talk about the ways in which your family's caregiving evolved over time. So let's start with the question. Please discuss more, tell us more about your mother's role in the family caregiving and the way in which the family caregiving was organized around your mother's caregiving. Mm. Let me say this as we, as we reflect back. It's often with smiles. Um, as, as, as in the early days of caregiving, first and foremost, it's critical for us to understand that my mother never viewed this as a burden, as a responsibility, or as any sense of, of uh, duty. She loved every minute of my father and her time together, and she would have it no other way. There were often times, especially in the later years, when my father was became more and more concerned about my mother's well-being, and yet it was her who defended their right to stay as long as possible in the format that they were in so that they might enjoy it. So my mother's caregiving really kind of evolved. First and foremost, in the early days, my father drove everywhere. My father could drive across the country. He had, you know, at various times in his handicap experience, he might have had hand controls, but he was always a driver. And it reached a point when all of a sudden, after all of these years of driving, that his health was no longer enabling him to drive. And we thought that that would be the end of their driving. But instead, no. My mother stepped up and said, I can drive. I'm fully capable of driving. But what did that mean as it pertains to getting around and getting my father in and out of vehicles and taking him to appointments and all of those things. And so we went through the process of evaluating scooters and handicapped wheelchairs and minivans and getting in and out. And my mother was absolutely intimately involved in every single decision along the way in order to ensure that she understood the impact not only on her, her as, as the user of these devices, but also on my father. And um, and it has been fascinating as the care has evolved over time, how my mother has become the one who has, as much as we as children shape some of the dialogue, my mother structured the decision-making to ensure that it was aligned with both her circumstance and my father's. So just as a quick supplementary question to that, would it be fair to say that your mother was in fact the manager of this complex process because it was a complex process? Would that be a fair way to summarize it? More, you're absolutely right, Gordon. Not only the manager, the protector, the gatekeeper, this care process did not take place unless she had complete comfort as to the implications not only on my father but also on her and how they were going to do it together. And, um, and so over this time, um, she became very organized and organized down to the point of understanding every aspect of every physical transfer. It's important to note that my mother is probably five foot three, five foot four inches tall and no more than 120 pounds. My father was six foot two and probably he'd never tell me his weight, but I would guess he was probably close to 285 pounds. So there was a pretty significant difference. And so each of these things that she had to be involved with, she had to make sure that it was totally capable that they could do this without risk. Now, I'd like to ask you, please, to tell us 
the story of the evolution of the challenges for your mother as time progressed and what to tell us about the consequences of those changes as time progressed. And just please start by reminding us just how long your, was your mother and your, sure. your mother and so, father so together? My, my mother and fa- my father contracted polio, I believe, in 1951, I think is when he was in Riverdale Hospital. It could have been 1950, but it was 1951. He was in Riverdale Hospital. They were married in September of 1953. And my dad passed away this past June of 2012. The first time we as children really ever thought of dad as having a disability and mom as having a responsibility in care probably didn't really, as much as we might have tied shoelaces and, um, and, and been gophers to go from place to place, because it was difficult for my father. And so we would see that, and he would say, can you get the salt or can you get the butter and various things like that. But, but really the first time we started to see evidence of it is when his own mobility, uh, things that he used to try and do with canes, he could no longer do with canes. And so it was probably at the time when he became restricted to electronic wheelchairs and and, uh, scooters that all of a sudden this change took place and my mother's role changed as well. All along the time frame of their married life, my father was a dynamic, extroverted, independent type individual that my mother provided support and care for. Um, And uh, and, and then as time has he started to lose some of his physical independence, then she had to change and evolve. So things like personal care and hygiene, things like dressing, things like um, physical movement from a, from a wheelchair into a bed, um, all of those kind of progressions started to evolve for my mother. And maybe the most significant one was, was what I would call pharmacist. My father's medications, as we now have in our system, there's lots of medications. As his medications increased, so also did her deep desire to understand every medication, its impact on his system, and what that might do should there be a problem. And so she became a full-time pharmacist, if you want to call it that. Would it be fair then to say that as a full-time pharmacist, she in effect became truly a family caregiver and therefore in that sense part of the professional care team looking after your father is that is that equation a fair one not yes it is fair and not only is it fair most of the people who might have provided supplementary care were always subject to the approval rating of not only my mother but also my father the medical community which saw the behavior of my mother and understood would always stop in awe and say this well, we've got to fix this you should be in a home reverend holmes and or you know you're going to be too hard on your wife and it would be my mother who would step up and say we're fine we're fine we have this under control don't try and change our routine um, so she was the professional caregiver, and the rest of us, in various emotional and physical ways, provided the supplementary care not only to my father but to my mother. Now that leads us into the next question, which is, I'd like you to talk talk to us about the evolution of the challenges for the family teamwork as your mother and father age and about their consequences. Steve? Well, not, one can never underestimate the comforts of home. There were circumstances in our time frame of my father's care over the last number of years where he had to have hospital visits. 
And, and you just need to go back to my explanation early on when I was describing my father when he spent about eight months in the Riverdale Hospital overlooking the Don Jail. And he said, there's two things I don't like. I don't, I don't, I don't like hospitals and I'm never going to jail. And, and yet going to the hospital was like jail to my father because he lost all sense of dignity in many fronts. He lost his intimacy of care with my mother that he got from my mother. And he was subject to a system that wasn't actually designed to provide care. And I'm being critical and because I love the profession and the people who have cared for my father have done the best. But as far as giving the same level and types of care, so as a team, we always had to look at those types of moments. Our biggest issue was, was twofold, physical risk on my mother. Many of my siblings, my, uh, my siblings' spouses, we would spend considerable time saying this is get this this might be dangerous. What if father had a fall? You know, all of those types of initiatives that we would start to challenge, and we would challenge them in such a way that my mother could think through them, logically, rationally give us, we would have to give her a time to properly respond in a logical, rational way. And if she did that, we couldn't have any interference in allowing her to continue with care. And so this evolution of, of what I would call the family unit working together to respectfully ensure that we had a safe environment at all times um, was critical to not only us as children providing care for our mother, but my mother's sense that she could still have confidence to proceed. That's powerful uh, in a whole range of ways, not least, is that sense that the team was still taking orders, so to speak, uh, was still being managed, but at the same time was acting in a monitoring way, watching out for risk, um, caring in that sense of being willing to speak up if they saw things that perhaps were creating risk. Is that right? Absolutely. So I have um, my sister, one of my sisters, although she lives out of the country, is a nurse. Uh, my sister-in-law, who does live here in Toronto, also had a, is a nurse. So we had a couple of nurses. Although they physically weren't close to my mother in, in, in being able to just drop in, they were a resource at times of discussion. And they were often the ones who would rave the flag to the rest of us and say, this is getting dangerous. Uh, or this is getting concerning, or what if dad had a fall? And he did fall. He did fall, Gordon. And he would fall in ways that none of us would want to have repeated. And it was recovering from some of those falls that my mother would rest assure the rest of the family that she had thought through the reason of the fall. And she believed that if we could assist to compensate for the reason for that fall, the fall wouldn't happen again. That might have been modifications in their bathroom modifications in their bedroom. So those were the things that she would constantly rather discuss and negotiate rather than say, um, you're right, we need, to, we, need, we need to change. So in that sense, these were a range of evolving challenges for the family teamwork as time progressed and your two parents aged. Um, and in that sense, 
the negotiations that went on were a necessary part of the evolution of the care. Now, I just ask you to say quickly yes or no whether you agree with that because we're going to come to discuss that in a little more detail in the next segment. Uh, I agree entirely. Yeah. Thank you. Now, we're going to take the break. There's a tyranny of time, you know, in broadcasting, and it comes up uh, just when you want to go on talking. So here we are in the next break. So this is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Steve Holmes. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Powell River. So please stay with us. We're coming back. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. What if you were willing to be controversial, choosing kindness instead of judgment, willing to stand out from the crowd, being a leader in creating a new reality, even if others don't follow? You can make a difference. Start by tuning in to The Value of Controversy. Each week, our hosts will bring you the tools to help create the world that you want to live in and explore what's possible when you choose from the controversy of consciousness. Listen for The Value of Controversy every Tuesday at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week. Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Steve Holmes. Our topic is wife and children as family caregivers. Let's now, Steve, talk about the ways in which your mother responded to the challenges that evolved with aging. Now, first question what was the support that your mother most strongly relied on? In what ways did it influence her? And what were the effects for you all as they arose in regard to the support that she most strongly relied on? Steve? First, let me say that my parents, as much as we talk about my dad's disability, and I don't want this to sound... I used to use this phrase, and he was okay with it, so I hope your listeners will be too. Eventually, my dad's body failed, but his mind never did. Um, And so in the process of his body failing, his mind was always sharp. He was always right there. 
And from when the time I was a little child, from when, from as far back as I remember, there are two things that happened in our home on a daily basis. One was the reading of Scripture, and second was prayer. Now, as we grew up as children, and we left the nest and moved on, what we came to realize is that our parents probably substituted the time that they spent in raising their children and increased their amount of time in prayer and reading scriptures together. So the greatest thing, as much as I could talk about the support that my mother might have received and relied on from, from us as children, and that might make me feel good from an from a ego, her greatest place of support, her greatest place of support, came from her daily time with my father, reading the Bible and praying. And there was never a day, Gordon, where they didn't pray for us as children. And there was never a day that they didn't pray about what their own circumstances would be. They had totally come to the place that they were being sustained by the grace of God. And when it came to the end, when his body might fail and ultimately might fail, that was okay. So her greatest support by far was her personal relationship with Jesus Christ. The effects on you as children, she'd already, you'd already said that in some ways the prayer and the, the readings, the scriptures, uh, might have competed for the time that your parents spent with you as children. Um, were you aware of that? Was that something that you recognized? Well, and if so, each, of us, each of us children have strongly, and our own children and our wives, have strongly continued that faith is an important part. I mean, there's a great scripture which talks about raise up children the way in which, you, you know, they will, they will be strong based on your example. And so uh, as children, never did we ever have a sense of, uh, I don't believe, uh, resentment whatsoever, because we were part of that process. As kids living in the home, there wasn't a mealtime or a time of quiet, but... So we were part of that process. But as they got older, we became greatly appreciated because one of the things we did as caregivers was call them. So there was a regular, constant routine. And in the latter years, what was always funny is when you'd call the house, you'd get put on speakerphone so they could both hear the conversation simultaneously. And, and that conversation would go on each night if you called each night or whatever. And what you always knew is that at that time, at some point during the day, you had been, myself, Stephen, had been a focus of their attention and their thought. They had invested in thinking and praying about me more so than their own concerns. That's very powerful. Let me now ask you to say more, and particularly more about the details of the ways in which your mother responded to her her own caregiving challenges for your father and for herself as it, as these evolved during the aging process, not only of your father, but of herself. Please tell us about those. My father said to me once, this is probably five years ago, that his greatest fear is that he would outlast my mother and that the reason he would outlast my mother is that he had worn her out. Our greatest fear as children, in fact, continued to be, on some fronts, we were deeply concerned. We, we might have asked ourselves occasionally, what would ever happen? What, what could ever we do? What would ever happen in the caregiving process? What would we have to reevaluate should mom predecease my father? But God didn't have that in his plan and his will, and thank, thankfully not. But in that process, there were times when my mother's wrists or her shoulders. You see, what happens with polio 
is when your body starts to, to break down all those muscles. Then my father contracted later in life this disease, which we're now learning more about, called post-polio, where the muscles even weaken further. And because he had supported his body, which was, which was broken by shoulders and arms, he had failure in some of those muscles. And so my mother had to spend more time in doing transfers. And as the evolving took place, what we found was that the physical stress on my mother, given the size of my father, started to become significant. And so for us, what we really had to look at were for her challenges became not only emotional, as she was caring for him, but she, you know, uh, she did not show any signs of those, but, but physical, as her body started to wear. She, too, was 85 years of age. In the end, uh, she still is alive and well and very healthy, but, but those were the challenges we all had to become very, very aware of. And my father was more aware than the rest of us. When we would visit, the first thing out of his mouth would be identifying areas where he was worried about mother. So he might even say to me, we've got to do something else in the bathroom. I'm worried about your mother with those transfers. I need something over here by my bed. I'm worried because of your mother. He's seen evidence, and he would not hesitate to raise them, even at fear that somebody might say it's been too much. Let me now ask you um, about the family's response to these concerns. For example, did there ever come a moment where you said to yourselves, perhaps it would be better for dad to go into some kind of long-term care? Were there other concerns? Um, and if there were, how did you deal with them and how did you respond to them? Well, and crazy enough, I, I am a chartered accountant by profession. So one of the crazy things about accountants is we think that the best solution is throwing money at things. So... Um, the concerns became real, and the concerns were, were discussed behind the scenes in, in a way where sibling to sibling, we would talk about our concerns, and we would try and plan through what were the implications of, of some of those decisions. It simply isn't acceptable to say, I'll, I'll share with you, the discussion we had about putting my father in a home at one time when we went through that discussion, thinking out of the best interest of my mother, when we sat down and we presented some of our thinking to my mother, she was immediate to be able to say, but you know that I need to be there to feed him breakfast, and I want to spend all day with him, and your father sleeps a lot of the day, and I can't sit and watch him sleep. I need my freedom, and I can't come and go. And so what's interesting is as we came through the process of, of being deeply concerned and trying to make changes um, that might protect my mother, we, re we actually realized that she viewed those as far more stressful. So for her, the priority was determine how to continue to allow us to live in the space we're in. We're open to help. Now, that was a big statement. So we... Uh, this goes back a few years back, Gordon, when we made a conscious decision for the first time in their 55 years or 53 years of marriage, they weren't going to sleep in the same bed, that we were finally going to have to separate beds. And we got my mother a single bed, which was put beside a hospital bed for my father. And this, he was, it was just to enable him to get in and out, deal with bed sores, all of those things. That was a significant date for my father. 
I remember the first night when I talked to him after the night's sleep, he said it was weird. He says, I've never, ever had a night's sleep where your mother hasn't been in bed with me. But they did it because it was critical to allowing them to stay at home. And so as these challenges came up, every one of them, they would look for solutions. How do we stay home? And then they would be open to it. But when you threw items at them and said, it's just easier if you go into care, what you found out is that's not necessarily true. This comes back to the very point that more and more people want to pass their final years at home. It comes to the point that you made that however good a hospital or care facility may be, it isn't home. And you made the point, I think, very elegantly that the introduction of a hospital bed, with all that that implies, still didn't in any way undermine the sense of being at home. Is that right? Absolutely correct. Yeah. Now, where that comes to is a sort of question of another kind, which is um, when this situation occurs that, you know, you have to make adjustments for the sake of things carrying on. Is that a communal decision or is that something that basically you left to your mother and father to make? It became very much a common uh, discussion decision because it was it was burdening. I will say this. I go back. My mother was sustained every day by her daily prayers. And, and she knew that that didn't mean that she wouldn't have challenges, but she was sustained by that. And so when these types of challenges came up, sometimes they would be almost overbearing. My mother wanted to continue to maintain a home. She didn't want to have a hospital in her home. She wanted to continue to maintain a home so that they could entertain and so that the family could come, but she wanted to meet the needs of my dad. And so every one of these discussions, whether it was modifications to the toilet, whether it was modifications in the bedroom with the hospital bed, whether it was the elimination of furniture in order to keep make room for his, his wheelchair to move around the apartment more effectively, all of these things were well thought out and they were all made with common decision. Because if the pressure had placed, been placed purely on my mother and father, I personally believe that it wouldn't have been too great of a burden. So that's a very powerful statement because what it means is that there's teamwork here. That is, there's management of a kind that requires leadership, of the kind that your mother provided, but there's also that sense of responsiveness of the people who are around to understand to express their advice and to basically help the adaptations that need to go on. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely correct. And, and those discussions could take place by telephone. They sometimes happened over Skype for my siblings who were out of the country. And, and sometimes they would happen collectively by our siblings, and then we would each position ourselves with mom and dad to ensure that, that all of our voices were properly heard and we had all had the opportunity to hear any objections or concerns by mom and dad. Right. Now, it is time again for the break, so we'll do that now. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley and my guest is Steve Holmes. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio for Power River. Please stay with us. 
It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Who are we? Can we really make the world a better place? How can the mantle of personal power be most effectively passed from generation to generation? There is no correct answer, but by tuning in to Birthright of Power with Reverends Don and Jane Lewis, the goal is that you will find some help in this journey. What does it mean to be a warrior with multiple meanings of that word? How do we stay strong in the face of changing times? Listen to Birthright of Power, live every Monday at noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now you can discover your true identity through connecting healthy relationships. Make your contribution to the world that you live in. Tune into Love Yourself with host Dorothy Doctor, the self-love coach. Dorothy is a gifted listener as well as an empowerment expert. She can help you take those first steps toward moving forward in your life and the lives of others. Find your true, authentic self. Love Yourself with Dorothy Doctor is broadcast live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This is the home of the top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success drivers. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. That's D-O-C, the letter G, at familycaregiversunite.org. Don't forget, you can catch new episodes of our program twice every week. Mondays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Steve Holmes. Our topic is wife and children as family caregivers. Steve, now let's talk about external help for family caregivers as their family members are aging at home. Um, First question, what help did your family seek for your family caregiving from the healthcare and social services systems? What was your experience with the help? And do you believe that other families have similar experiences? That is, they have the kind of experiences you had. Steve? It's it's a difficult one for me to speak to, and, and I want to be sensitive first and foremost to say that my mother and father were deeply appreciative of every aspect of, of supportive care that they received, whether it was from doctors, whether it was from in-care nurses. Um, my doc, my father developed some unfortunate, uh, you know, sores that that needed treatment. So that all of the care they received in that process, they would have nothing more than deep, deep gratitude to the people that came. Here's the challenge, and I'm speaking for myself outside of my mother and father for a moment. The challenge is that we've gotten to ourselves in our healthcare and social services system as it pertains to someone who is at home and requires care to being paralyzed by two things. One is generalizations, and two is liability. The generalization comment I want to make is simply this. It paralyzes us when we walk into a home and we look at a man in bed and we look at his physical size and we say, oh, you need to be in a care home. We, you, can't, you can't properly be cared for here. You need to be in a home. 
that's a terrible generalization. And one must constantly, the healthcare system, if we can do anything, it is try to look at the resource that's been developed around caregiving, evaluate the entire caregiving circumstance, and then evaluate what is in the best interest of the patient. Second is the paralyzation towards liability. In my father's case, no one would walk into our home and, and they would look at my father and his physical size and they'd say, well, I can't do that. And I can't do that because if I drop him, we could get sued. Or I can't do that because I'm not allowed to do that given a man of his size. Here was my mother of probably, let's say, 125 pounds and five foot three, who could utilize all of the apparatus, who could physically figure out how to move my father from bed to the commode or bed to a, a wheelchair or bed. This is in the latter days I'm talking about. But here is, here is a circumstance where those two comments, one is the generalization based on the, the situation of the patient and generalizing that, that, is, that only one type of care is acceptable. And second, the, the, the issue of liability. Those are the two issues that most concern me about the healthcare system. The people and the relationships, wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. People are wonderful, but they are bound by the rules and the liabilities associated with their responsibility and their profession, and sometimes that paralyzes them. Right. Now, so the next question then is what more you would like to see done to help families and family caregivers of family members as they age at home, you know, having regard to the two things you've identified or other factors? In other words, what help would you like to see give more to families and family caregivers? I think the most critical thing is we talk these days about in-care assessments, and my, my sister-in-law has, has, and my sister have both have had significant responsibility in their nursing professions, both in Canada and the United States, in these in-home assessments. And I think it's interesting. Their own perspective of my mother, I think, has helped shape their ability to do assessments in a different way. I haven't been associated with enough, so I, I have to be careful. But what I would say is what I would really like to see done is no assessment is done without the complete sense of all of the family caregivers to determine who is going to be providing care in this circumstance and, and how are each of those family unit members committed to care. Because that is the way in which I believe the healthcare system has to start evaluating caregiving. It is not simply by who is the primary or the care manager, as was in the case of my mother, but understanding the entire system and the resources that can be put in place. And to put some sense of burden and responsibility on those caregivers to get real commitments to understand how, in fact, that this can happen. So I, I would really, really love to see the assessment process be such uh, expanded in such a way as to include all members that might have a role in the fam family caregiving process. Perhaps this is a little bit of a loaded question, but does that mean, Steve, that you believe that the healthcare system should pay more attention to family caregivers in the kind of situations you're talking about? Absolutely. I'll give you a very simple example. I'm going to be very quick. When my father would ever have to be administered into hospital, the first thing my mother would do when she'd walk into the hospital is she'd pull out a complete chart of every medication he took and why he took it and what, what the implications were. She had a, a list of every medication written down, when was the last prescription given, how often he gets it. The first thing they would do is, is they would take that list and they'd look at it and they'd go, oh, well, we don't have these at this hospital and we, oh, we're not allowed to do this. And we'll have to wait till the doctor, and you, ha you need to take your medications away, and you can take them home. You can't use the medications while you're here in the home. Inevitably, that would throw off my father's system. 
And so it became very critical. Whenever my mother would evaluate a decision whether or not it was to go to the hospital or not, she would evaluate that against all of the other risks associated. So, and, and no one at the hospital took, took real interest in understanding why is this 85-year-old woman walking in with a list of X number of prescriptions and she knows them better than the doctor. She right. did it because she understood what care meant. Right. Now, last question. What's your message for family caregivers caring for family members who want to age at home? What's your message? Well, you know, first I have to say this, and, and, um, and I want your listeners to, to, to forgive me if they're offended, but, but there's a deep, deep place for faith a deep place for faith, a deep place where you want a daily basis that you can put your your trust and, and go with your concerns and lay them out. And that's number one. Number two is act as a whole family unit. When there's disagreement, don't run away. When there's challenges, don't run away. Don't abandon the opportunity to give care for a loved one at home because you will never regret it. I will say to you, Gordon, the greatest moment, maybe, I've, I've had wonderful moments in my parents' life, but one of the best will last for me forever, was the point in time when the, we were in the final few days of my father's time. Somebody said, you know, we could take him to the hospital. And my mother said, no, I promised him he would never die in the hospital. And she got in bed with him. And over the course of the next three days, as his body had gone away, you would occasionally walk in and see my mother wiping his forehead with a cloth and whispering his ear, it's okay, you can go home now. It's okay, you can go home now. I will be okay. That is a wonderful, wonderful moment. It was a wonderful moment of great grace and great love. It was a message of home from home, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Steve, we are coming to the end now, but I want to say to you that you've talked about some very difficult things, some very difficult decisions and very difficult challenges. But what I've got also from listening to you, and I'm sure the listeners have, is that though your father's body was broken, and that was a phrase you used, um, there was a fulfillment, a happiness, a sense of honor and privilege in your family that made this a fulfilling experience. This made this an experience that's influenced you all and that will continue to influence you in your lives. So within it all, there was great goodness. And you attribute that to your faith. And I'm sure that many other people will listening to you will say, and there go I. And that then is the overall message, I think, that we should take away from listening to you, which is that the message of believing in something, the message of working together, and the message that there is fulfillment is profoundly important. And then the last message, which is my political message, is that I really do agree with you most strongly that the healthcare system needs to take more and better notice of families and family caregiving in their assessments and also in the way they deliver their care. So that's the end of my lecture, but I want to say thank you very much, Steve, for sharing with us in such an open way all the things that you've spoken about. And I want to wish you and your family continued success in everything you do. 
I want to say thank you to our listeners. We'd be glad to hear your comments on this episode. And from our listeners, I'd like to hear from you about ideas for topics or if you're interested in being a guest on the show. And in our next episode, we'll talk about voice for family caregivers in the mental health system. Please join us, same time, same spot on the internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again twice every week, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until the next show, we hope our programs help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.